0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much he loves us starts right now.
1: Two ladies, guys, were attending their 10-year class reunion, two ladies, and as they began to talk about their lives, the first lady told the second lady that she had believed that she had lived a well, well well-balanced life. The second lady looked at her and said, we've only been out of high school 10 years, and you're telling me that you've lived a balanced life. What do you What do you mean by that? Well, she said, quote, first, I married a lawyer, and then I divorced him. And then I married an actor, and then I divorced him. And then I married a preacher, and then I divorced him, she said. And she said, finally, I married an undertaker. And the second lady sh- scratched her head, and she goes, um... How, how do you consider that a well-balanced life? To which she replied, well, that's simple. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. Right? Thank you. But really, it's a picture, guys, of two ladies who were sort of really enjoying their class reunion right and today's message i i want you to see that one of the greatest reunions in all of the bible is that we get to go home now i started that off with just a little humor because sometimes when we think about going home it can get really it, we can get really sad we can kind of get like wow okay i understand that you know and and and, and so again when you think about ezra and you think about all we're going to study today one of the greatest reunions Guys, as one day we get to go home. Now, I'm not talking about, Pastor, when you get done with the message, I'm going to go home. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking when this journey is finally over and we can close our eyes with confidence and know that we'll be in our heavenly home. It actually reminds me of a more serious story about a little boy who was just about to enter his teens. He sat contently in the coach of a train traveling through the dry belt in the West. It was miserably hot. But he always showed this, this smiling countenance, this little boy. Others complained that the heat and the dust found some fault with the equipment of the railroad. Most of the passengers seemed out of sorts. Surely, it was surely not very comfortable. And traveling was the most tiresome and uninteresting. The boy, however, with the, with contentment which it could be seen, had a source far beneath the surface, seemed to be enjoying this hot, this dried-out country, which to others had become most tedious. An inquisitive motherly soul in the seat back of the boy was wondering, what made this little fellow so cheerful? When she, her curiosity any longer, she leaned forward and she asked, Sonny, aren't you tired of this heat? And he said, yes, ma'am, I'm a little tired, but I don't mind it much. The lady was about to ask why when he finished the sentence, because my daddy is going to meet me when we get to Winnipeg. And I thought, what a beautiful picture. You see, he didn't mind the heat. He didn't mind the long, tedious train ride because he knew that at the end of his trip that his father would be there waiting for him. And I thought, what a beautiful picture for us. Our father will be waiting for us as we come to the end of our journey. Now think about this, okay? When it comes to life, the road is rough at times. Life seems almost unbearable. There are trials, there are troubles, there are heartaches, there's burdens, there's disappointments. You go, Pastor, preach it. I am. Yet our Father, our Heavenly Father is going to be there at the end of the journey. He's going to be waiting for us. He's going to be welcoming us. Guys, if you're taking notes, I'm calling this message, The Journey Home. For tonight, we discover that Ezra is about to make this 900-mile journey from Babylon all the way back to Jerusalem. Now, listen, it's been about 150 years, right, since Nebuchadnezzar came and took everyone (laughs) captive, right? About 150 years. Now, let's quickly break this down. 70 years they were in Babylon, and you go, why, Pastor? Well, if you're taking note, first of all, we see that they were disobedient. Right? They were disobedient. They would not let the land rest for over 490 year period, and for 70 years they were taken away. The second thing that they were in Babylon for was, guys, think about this, idolatry. The people in the land had begun not worshiping the Lord anymore, but began worshiping idols. Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, says that he's been pleading for 40 years. He was speaking to the nation of Israel, and he was preaching a message to them, and the message declared it was imperative that they turn away from idols. Right? And you go, well, what what, what kind of gods did they worship? Well, they didn't worship the true and living God. They would worship gods. I mean, some of the idols Jeremiah preached about were called Astaroth. This was the God of sensuality, Astaroth. Then they would worship the God of Molech, right? The God of Molech. This was the God of prosperity in sacrificing your children in the name of convenience. It was the God of Molech. You go, well, what else? Well, and then there was the God of Baal. This was, this was immorality with intellect. And of course, the ever-popular mammon was a god that they worshipped. It was a god of what? Money. So it was disobedience. Lord, we're not going to do what you say. We understand your word. We got this. And then they were worshipping idols. Well, for 70 years, they're in Babylon, right? Well, then they get back. They come back, and it takes them 20 years to build a temple. And you go, why did it take them 20 years? Guys, it was opposition of the enemy, It was opposition and the enemy. And here's what I want you to know. You go, Pastor, you say that all the time. Well, here's what I want you to know. When you step out and you're really going to walk for Jesus and you're serious about it, there will be opposition in your life. There will be enemies come up out of the woodwork, if you will. Enemies are going to come out and try to stop you. Enemies are going to come out and try to discourage you. They're going to try to put your walk on the shelf, right? They're going to try to stop the work that God has started. That is a given. We can see it laid out through all Scripture. I want you to think about this for just a moment. I want you to think even in the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, we see that Zambala, Tobiah, all of these guys were trying to stop them to build the walls. And we can see here that they had enemies. But even think of the Pharisees. These were the religious dudes that were trying, that were the go between God and Israel. They were trying to stop Jesus. There's always opposition, and I think we can take that to heart. The moment you say, I'm going to step out, and I'm going to follow Jesus with all of my heart, and I'm going to love him, and I'm going to just, I'm giving it all to him, you can count the enemy's going to go, uh-uh. Now, I will tell you this, there are times in our lives, and I even hate to use it like this, but there are times when there's the honeymoon period. Y'all know what that is? It's a time where you're praying, and God is, and he's like, this is great, I don't know why everybody's not a Christian, and then, and the enemy waits, and He waits. And maybe a year goes by, maybe two years go by, and you're blindsided. You don't see where this is coming. You're like, how did this happen? Stay focused on track. Stay on track. Stay on track. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You can count on opposition. Well, pastor, is this your message? No, no, no. But this is why it took him so long to build the temple. They kind of stepped back, and they went, hey, listen. Oh, this is... For 16 years, they went and what? They built their own house. Forget the temple, man. Forget the work of God. We're going to build our own house. So I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to build my house here. And, and, and it wasn't until the prophets came and said, listen, what are you guys doing? Haggai, Zechariah, come on, guys, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go, come on. And they rebuilt it. They rebuilt it. Right? Well, then we see that there's a 60-year gap between where? Between chapter 6 and chapter 7. And that's where we find the book of Esther, Esther, And then we learned about a man named Haman, right? Haman tried to extinguish the Jews. I mean, it seems like there's always some sort of opposition, right? And so we jump to chapter 7. Last couple of weeks, we learned some valuable lessons. You go, what are they? Well, in chapter 7, we discovered three keys to building the heart of a foundation, Okay, three keys, you go, what are they? Well, Ezra tells them, he says the first thing we need to do is we need to commit ourselves to studying the word of God. Commit ourselves to studying the word of God, to looking at it, to growing, to seeing at it, to, to pulling it out, to do word studies. Listen, it's not enough to kind of go, hey, I get I get my meal on maybe Wednesday, I get my meal on Sunday, amen, you know, I turn a little Caleb on the way home, that's good. We're we're talking about studying the Word of God for you. Listen, this is amazing, but I'll tell you what happens. God moves so mightily in the quietness of your heart as you open his word, and sometimes all you have is a pencil, that's all you have. God, speak to me, and he begins to speak, and he begins to move, study the word of God. He goes, well, what other foundation? He goes, well, once you get that foundation, he says, the second foundation in our heart was to obey the word of God, obey the word of God. James, the book of James Jesus' half-brother tells us in verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers, do and obey the word of God. As a matter of fact, he goes on, and I'm reading from the Good News uh, Bible. It says this, Whoever listens to the word but does not put it in practice is like a man who looks in the mirror and sees himself as he is. He takes a good look at himself, then goes away, and at once forgets what he looks like. That's exactly what happens. You go in the mirror, and you're like this. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You start talking to yourself in the mirror, and then you walk away, and you really forget what you look like. That's the person who just hears the word of God, but does not put it into practice. Ezra says, hey, you want a foundation of your heart? Study the word of God. What? Study the word of God. The second, obey God's word. Obey God's word. Is there not a disconnect in our hearts from, from simply listening but not doing? Of course there is. Oh, that was a good sermon, pastor. That was amazing. That was so good. Amen. But I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna be obedient to it. And he goes, no, the foundation of your heart, he says, listen, I'm gonna put this in to practice. I'm gonna put this into practice. And then the third thing he says is teach the word of God. Teach the word of God. Learn them, obey them, and begin to teach them. Now, here's what I want you to see. A lot of your teaching comes by the way you live. A lot of teaching comes by the way you live. You know what I'm talking about? Example, by how things are and how how you believe. And you go, okay, I've learned the word of God. I've studied it. And now I'm obedient. And people look at you and go, wow, there's something different. You don't have to sit there and go, okay, we've got a Bible study going on. People will see your lives and they'll say, man, there's something different. There's something different. And then last week, guys, we talked about that we need to be careful that we don't put God in a box. We don't put God in a box. You see, God's gonna use this pagan king to support the work of the ministry. It was amazing. And he chooses to accomplish his will when we, well, let's be honest. We often put God in a box on how he should work and how he should work in the lives and lives of others. We go, God, this is the way you can work. This is the only way you can. Okay, that's how we do it. And then we realize that, Listen, from time to time, God wants to work in different ways, and he blows our mind. And last week we go, oh, no, no, no. See, Ezra's going to go back. He's going to he's going to build the foundation of the hearts. He's going to need some funds. He's going to need some security. He's going to need all this stuff. God goes, no, I'm going to use this pagan king. I'm going to already be, and it it was just amazing. We got to see how we just don't want to put God to work a certain way, that we should come with hearts open going, okay, God, how do you want to work? How do you want to work in my life? How do you want to do this? I'm open. What do you want to do? And it might come out of the blue. I mean, it might be crazy. And I mean, it's just amazing. But we've got to stay, we've got to stay ready to go. God, how do you want to do this? How do you want to do this? Now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Who hands over a radio station to somebody with no money down a letter who who, God can do anything he wants? If he can do that in the life of the church, what can he do in your life? What can he do in the life of your kids? And so we got to be careful that we don't put God in a box. But let me also say this. We need to trust the Lord to do these things. Hey, what are you praying for today? What are you praying that you want to see God do? Hey, let me ask you this. Are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? Oh, Pastor, I'm a pessimist. I just believe, let's just, listen, I like to borrow money from pessimists. You know why? Because you never expect to get the money back, right? They never expect you to pay it back. So I was like, optimist was like, okay. But here's what I want to say, guys, we need to start thinking in our hearts that God's going to do incredible things in our lives. We need to start, we need to really start believing because look at scripture, God used this king, he used Artaxerxes to go, hey, by the way, you know how we're going to fund this? The taxes, the temple, all of us, come on, we're going to fund this. And, and Ezra's going, amen, amen, amen. And so we talked about that last week, we talked about it, be careful. And so now as we come to chapter eight, guys, we learn that Ezra's on his way home. But what we need to understand, guys, is that it's a journey to get where he's going. He's just not going to get on a plane. He's not, I mean, even think about it. 900 miles would still be, what, a couple of, a couple of hours, two and a half hours by plane? But it's, but it's not going to happen. It's going to go very, very slow. Now, this is what we should apply to our lives, okay? Ezra's going to go from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Everybody got that? But this is how we apply it. The way we apply it, guys, is this is the journey you and I called life. Okay, when did it start? Well, did it start when I was born? It actually started when you were born again. That's when the journey started. That's when you totally surrendered your life to God. That's so important because, yeah, yeah, your life journey started when you were born, right? However old you are, you came out screaming and, and they looked at you and said, oh, look how wonderful, and they loved on you. But when you became born again spiritually is when your journey started, when your journey started. Now, if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to see, and I want you to see they parallel each other. The journey that Ezra is going to take from Babylon to Jerusalem, okay, and the journey we take from the moment we give our lives to Jesus Christ to the moment we take our final breath on earth, we see, number one, the journey is going to be filled with the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's all unknown. We don't know. We all plan to get up and do the same thing. Some of us are going to get up early and we're going to hit the gym. Others are going to go to work and, and we've got it all planned out. But there are things that we just don't know. And the journey is unknown. Church, listen to me. I beg of you. Understand that there were 17 kids that got up this morning on a normal day in Florida, went to school, and was looking forward to prom in the next couple of months and life life changed for them. You understand, the journey is unknown. You know, what else? We'll see that they parallel, that the journey for Ezra as well as us needs to be filled with prayer. Needs to be filled with prayer. And so we've got to take a moment and ask, how's our prayer life? How's our prayer life? And I'll get a little bit more into that as we, as Ezra gives a decree. We see the third thing that we need to understand. The journey needs to be filled with humility. With humility. Ezra's going to realize that as he begins this journey back to Jerusalem, that it's going to be filled with humility. He needs, there needs to be a humbleness about him. We also see number four, that the journey is filled with answered prayer. Answered prayer. God's going to show up in those times that you really need him. And then we're going to see that it's a journey walking with God as you go home, as you go home. So let's look at verse 1, and then we'll jump over to verse 15. Notice verse 1, Ezra chapter 1. He says, these are the heads of the fathers' houses. And this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes. So chapter eight, guys, if you're taking note, just starts off with genealogy. He's going to say, hey, listen, this is where it's going to be. These are the people that came with me. This is from Babylon, you know, and so we're heading home. We're heading home. Now, If you don't mind homework, you guys can read verses 2 to 14 the the rest of the week. You can just kind of look at it. But understand, guys, this is the genealogy that went up, he says, from me, from Babylon with me. The number given here amounts to about 1754. But this is each registered adult males. Okay? So think about this. There were more women and children also. We're going to see in like in verse 21. So the whole caravan may have been considered as compromising between six and thousand people. So it wasn't just Ezra and a few people. It was a bunch of people going home. Who's going to go? Who's going to go? And he gives the genealogy. So you'll study that. Let's go to verse 15 because here's where the journey begins. He says, now I gathered them by the river. Okay. So they've already started that flows to Uh, Ahava. And we camped there three days. And I looked among the people in the priest and found none of the, uh, none of the sons of Levi there. Now, he's talking about a small river here that flows into the Euphrates. If you're taking note and it matters, it, it really doesn't matter, but think about this. It was an eight day journey from Babylon. So you've got three or four thousand people, five or six thousand people. Here we go. And we take off eight days. Now, isn't that remind you of something? Yeah, pastor, that sounds a little bit like the Exodus. It sounds like when they were coming out of Egypt. Egypt being what? Help me, church. A type of the world. This is the second Exodus. These are people going home. Okay. Now, listen, listen, there's going to be a third exodus. Do you realize that? It's when we get from this earth to heaven. And here's how it's going to go down. You ready? You ready? There's a couple of things that I just, that I just got excited about. If you're reading the Bible with us, right? If you're doing the, the, the Bible every day, Bible in a year, you realize that in Matthew, we've just hit the resurrection. Jesus just resurrected. And it said people in the graves got up and they walked in town. Hey, how's it going? And people are like, are you serious? You just died last week. Are you kidding me? And I was just, I, I highlighted, I underlined that. I was like, wow, wouldn't that be a sight? Right? That was, now, now listen, listen, when I was young, man, probably six, seven, eight, maybe nine, 10, we used to talk about the Bible. Oh, the neighbors would talk about the Bible. It scared me half to death. But I realized in Easter, here's what I thought would happen they used to tell me and here's what I remember Jesus was going to be alive okay I love Jesus he's going to be alive and, and and then I thought we would go downtown and I and there'd be Easter egg hunt but I'd see my mom there see my mom had died when I was 18 months but I thought I would run into her downtown and I started to think where did I get that from well I realized that they were combining both Revelation guys and Matthew going hey there's some people when Jesus resurrected they came out of the graves how you doing and I thought that was crazy. That was crazy. But, but I'm just like, this is, this is just, this is, this is amazing. Because this is the second Exodus, but the third Exodus is going to go down like this. We're just going to be, you're going to be here, and we're just be having a good time, right? And the Bible says that, that all of a sudden we're going to hear this trumpet. Now, I don't know if it's going to be an audible trumpet. It's going to be inside our hearts, our spirit, but also, doo, right? This amazing trumpet. And the, and the Bible says that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And so all of a sudden, then, shoom, 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 right? And it says, we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He says, and we'll, ever, we'll always be able to meet the Lord. Comfort one another. Comfort. I need that comfort today, guys. I need that comfort. Why? Because I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. And I just, I need to know that Jesus is going to come back for me soon. I need to know that I can't. I don't want to need to live in this world, this evil world, any longer. Oh, trust me. We need to do. A, we need to do our work, don't we, guys? We need to do work. We got a lot of work to do, and I know your hearts are with me. But, but there are times I'm ready to go home. Jesus, I don't know how much we can take. I don't know how much we can take. Well, this is the second Exodus. You guys can see that, okay? This is the second Exodus. Ezra looks around and he goes, "Hey, hey, um, there's no." There's no priests, right? The Levites were different from the priests. He says, there's no Levites. And being a larger tribe, he looks around and notice what it says. He says, and I looked among the people and the priests. So there were some priests. He says, but I didn't find the sons of Levi there. Now, where were they? Now, it doesn't mean that they weren't there. Just he could not find them, right? And you go, why was he looking for them? Well, guys, if you remember, okay, the Levites were the descendants of Aaron. These were essential workers for the system of temple worship, that Ezra was to promote your attention, please. Ezra's about to go home and build a foundation of worship in the hearts of the people. But he has to do it in the way, just like you are here tonight. You're here getting the foundation built in your heart, but you called it church. I come to church, they get up here, we start with worship, and we, and we just lift our hands and we sing unto the Lord. That's building a foundation. But you do it through what? Through worship leaders. You do it through uh, pastors. You know, Santos gets up here and leads us in prayer. All that is building what? Foundation. Ezra's looking for that to happen when they get back to the temple. It's all you're just like, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, what's the application, pastor? Well, as the journey begins, guys, one the goal one day is home. But as we live each day, one thing we need to, is we need to look and submit to our high priest, Jesus. The goal is to go home. Here's what I'd like to leave you with, guys. Understand that right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is not your home. If you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus, this is not your home. You're just passing through. You don't belong here. You're just sightseeing. Uh, I don't like what I see. I'm ready to go home. Right? Right? You ever been on a vacation and the bed was not comfortable? And you said, I, I want to get back to my, that's right, my bed. I need my bed. And I need my coffee pot in the morning. It needs to go off. I need to have my, gotta have my coffee. What they're doing at hotels these days is crazy. They give you a little cup like this. How are you going to have coffee like this? And a little, psh, you know, that's more brown water. You're just like, oh, that's not going to work. I want to go home. I want to go home. That's what's happening, guys. That's what happened. Ezra looks and he says, okay, I, 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 I need to get this essential for the worship. It's time to go home. It's time to go home. So here's my question, guys. Here's my question. If Ezra's looking for the Levites to help him with the formation and the worship of the temple, I said, and Jesus is our high priest. Let me ask you this, guys. Let me ask you this. Let's let's take a moment to think about your day for just a second. Let me ask you this. Does your day start with Jesus and end with Jesus? Does it start? I mean, think about it, right? Oh, Pastor, I mean... (sighs) I don't know. You know, I mean, do you walk with him throughout the day? Are you talking to him? Is he a part of your life? Do you have fellowship with him? Do you have fellowship with him? I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but when was the last time you invited Jesus to lunch? You go, what are you talking about, dude? I'm talking about taking your lunch, you by yourself, and just, hey, Jesus, come on, let's just, let's just come and eat with me. I, I, I have a friend, he pastors the church in San Antonio. His name is Ron Arbaugh, and Ron Arbaugh, he, he gave me this beautiful illustration. He says, whenever I go for a walk, he says, I, I spiritually feel like I grab the hand of Jesus and I walk with him. around. The, and I, and this, is, this is what I do. I just, come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. I think it's so amazing. Why? Because that's fellowship. That's fellowship. Listen, Ezra realizes, guys, that his journey that he's about to take is going to encounter the unknown. I don't know what is out there. I've got 900 miles. I'm only eight days in. Uh, So he quickly wants those to serve God with him. So what does he do? Look at verse 16 with me, guys. He says, I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, uh, Shemiah. Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, another Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Mashulian, leaders also for Jorib, and another Elthanon. I guess they were, Elthanon was real popular. What are you going to name your kid, Elthanon? What are you going to name your kid, Elthanon? Oh, that's my name. Or you can say Elnathan, however you want to say it. But here's what I want you to underline. Notice what it says Men of understanding. Men of understanding. Okay, so the first nine men were chief note, rank, and dignity in their family, and the other two were noted for men of good sense. That's so key. That's so key. Okay, that could speak to what? To a case, well, and to be sent on such affairs they were. They should always be men, listen, who God calls to full-time ministry. There should always be God, God's calling, men of understanding. Now, here's what I want you to know. The leaders are the men who came alongside of men to help him in his calling. This is what he's doing. He's looking around for men that are going to go, hey, we're with you in this, Ezra. We're going to help you. I love that he says that, right? Men to what? To catch the vision. To go, listen, we we see what, what God wants to do in your life. We're with you. To hold up his arms, right? To pray for him. That's what he needs, leaders. And so Pastor Ezra says in verse 17, he says, I gave him the command for Edo, the chief man of the place of Kasaphiah, and I told him what they should do. And I say to Edo and his brethren, the Nethium in this place of Kasaphiah, and he said to bring us servants for the house of God. Look at verse 18. Then by the good hand of our God, Upon us, they brought men, they brought us men of understanding. The sons of Mahili, the sons of Levi, the son of Israel, namely uh, Sherebiah. And his sons, his brothers, 18 more. And Hashabiah with his sons... Josiah and the sons of Meriah, his brothers, their sons, 20 men, also the Nithium, those are temple servants, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 servants. All of them were designated by name. Notice he said, he carefully instructed the recruiters as what they should say and directed them to specifically make an appeal to who? To Edo and his brethren, right? Indeed, the good hand of God was upon him, upon the rec- recruitment effort, but it was also upon him for the planning. And you go, well, who was, who was Edo, this chief? Well, he was the head of the rest, either by order of the government or, I mean, we're not exactly sure. We, we know that the Persian kings allowed the Jews, but by some grant or commission, basically from the king, is what the commentator Poole said. And he says, and they brought us who? They brought us a man of understanding. Who was this man? His name was Sherebiah, Sherebiah. This man responded to the call, guys, and led a delegation of Levites. Now, here's what I want you to see, okay? A lot of times when we read this, we go, pastor, what does that have to do with us? Here's what I love about this. 38 Levites came forward, 220 servants responded to what? responded to Ezra's call to enlist. Ezra gets up and says, "Guys, there's a work to be done. Who's in?" And and we see that there was a response, "I'm in. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God." And here's what I wrote in my notes, guys. I said, "Listen, we're a small church. I get that. But I believe God wants to do something amazing with us. Our hearts need to be in tune with what God wants." I mean, think about some of the some think about some of the things guys were headed for. You go. What's that? I mean, here's what I want you to see. The other morning, I was sitting. I was sitting across from Victor. We were talking about the radio station, and all I could think about was getting the gospel out. All I could think about was was. I mean, think about the guy driving home at two in the morning, and and one of the pastors' teaching comes on, and the and the brother gets saved. I mean, I, that was my heart. I, well, Pastor, it's a lot of money. I know. But I, but I want you to see, I mean, think about what it could mean in an, our little church that God would do something big, that we would step out in faith. I keep thinking about what Peter says, and Peter says, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come, and, and Peter got out of the boat. The other people are sitting there going, go for it, Peter. Go, Pete. You know? I want to get out of the boat. What is God going to do? I don't know, but at least we got to try, Guys? We got to try, and we got to see. I mean, think about think about souls. Think about how important they are. Think about I mean, think about where they're going to end in eternity if we don't do something. And if and if we have, I mean, think about it, Pastor Chuck at seven thirty in the morning or whatever it might be, and there he is teaching the Word of God faithfully, faithfully, radio. So I want you to think about just today, just today. I I go over to the mailbox, I get I get a letter, I get another letter from the jail. Pastor Ben, I've got to just share with you. I've been so encouraged by your Hosea study. I get to listen at 1 o'clock in the morning. They let me out, and I listen to your 25-minute. I'm so excited. Could you send me notes on Daniel? Could you send me notes on this? And I'm just like... One o'clock in the morning, people are listening, but you understand it's all of us. It's all of us, but we gotta we gotta get I mean think about this guys. Ben, why are you so passionate about a radio station? I think I think it could it could reach people where we can't. Think about this. Where are we headed? Someday, guys, we want a new building. We want a building where the kids have their very own playground. We want a building where we can we can be seen and God wants to do incredible. Guys, you need to understand that the leadership has been praying for years upon years. We, Lord, what are you doing? You have us here. People drive up and go, Man, we're not going to church there. That's just a run. And, and, and it's just like, God, we've been praying and then I have to come back. I say, guys, we've only got three years. I've just signed another lease. I don't want to sign a lease. I don't want to keep giving money away. God, please. But think about this. God, do you believe God can do it? Do you believe God can really? I mean... Do you? Or are you just saying, I'm just going to say that. I mean, think about it. Here's another thing. Here's another, guys, I want you to see that God's going to raise up new leaders. New leaders. I was talking to Bob today and I said, you don't understand. Bob, you're an answer to prayer. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, there used to be just four of us praying on, on, on Wednesday night and we would be, we'd feel like us four and there's no more. And I said, God, raise up some other leaders to help us. Raise up some leaders, and all of a sudden, God begins to answer our prayer. And God is raising up new leaders to take this place farther, to do more than what we could have. Listen, we're small, so it has to be God. How did, how did you all do that? Where'd you get the money? Right? If he can do that in our little church, can he not do that in our lives? Pastor, I'm a pessimist. Pastor, I'm just negative. Just I know, I am too, but we got to step out, step out of the boat. What if we sink? What if we walk? What if we drown? What if we don't drown? Right? How are we going to know? How are we going to know? How are we going to know? Think about this, guys. Think about servants, guys. Serving joyfully. So Joyfully. Why? Because you're not serving me. You're serving Jesus. And that should be our heart. Why? Because Jesus, the man of joy, showed us how wonderful it is. How wonderful it is to what? To just serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And so there we are. Whatever we're doing. We're painting. (laughs) Amen. I got the joy of the Lord. We got to be careful that we go, well, nobody recognized me. Don't they know what I do there? Are you serious? I mean, pastor didn't say thank you. Well, then you're not serving the Lord. Remember, look all that God has done for you and go, man, are you serious? He saved me. Amen. Of course. Of course. This should be our attitude. Ready? Yes, Pastor. Wait, what? That's, that should be our heart. Wait, yes, Pastor. I haven't even asked you yet. It doesn't matter. God has done so much for me. Yes, Pastor. I'll do whatever you need me to do. You need me to do. Right? You need me to sweep the parking lot? I'll sweep the parking lot. But, but the elders aren't seeing me. Well, God has seen you. You see? There you, are, there you are. There you are. There you are. The journey, church, the journey is unknown. Now we see that the journey is one of prayer and humility. Ezra says in verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek Him for the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. He says, for I was ashamed to request the king escort, the soldiers, the horsemen, to help us against the enemy in the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those who seek Him, but the power of His wrath is against all those who forsake Him. Do you guys see that? And so we fasted and we entreated our God for this. And he answered our prayer. Guys, here's what Ezra did. He proclaims a fast. He says, guys, Ezra understood the spiritual power of fasting as a demonstration of our single-minded devotion to God and his cause. Therefore, he called a fast and saw that what? And he saw answered prayer. One commentator, one commentator said this. He said, as with any spiritual discipline or duty, it's possible to fast without the right heart and to trust it as an empty ritual, apart from its true spirituality. He says, real fasting, fasting that is partnered with real repentance and isn't only about image, has great power before God, before God. I debated whether to share this story with you or not, but I think I will. I actually experienced exactly what he was saying this week. You see, I really got into the place where, and 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 again, I understand the scripture. We're not supposed to go, guys. I'm fasting. Anoint me, but 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 on Mondays and Tuesdays, all the way to Wednesday, I would fast and pray. I'd fast and pray for the church. I'd fast and pray. I would have nothing but just just liquid. But I'd fast and pray for our radio station. I'd fast and pray to hear the word of God. And 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 I've been doing that, and I've been. It's been amazing. And then this past week, here I was. I didn't go into it very prepared on Sunday. I didn't even think about it. I go, okay, Monday's coming. It's time to fast. And, and God knocked on my heart on Monday. And he said, what are you doing? Oh, fasting, Lord. I want to hear your voice. He goes, really? And he really busted me because what had happened was it had become so different than hearing God's voice in my life that I actually had to go home and now they said, are are you eating? And I said, yes. Because my heart wasn't in it. And you have to be so careful that there are things that we do and we continue to do that if it's not done in the proper spiritual frame of mind, that it can just become a ritual. That happened to you? That happened to me this week. That happened. When I fast, guys, I want to hear God's voice. I wanna know, and and here's the one thing, okay? So if you purpose to fast, if you purpose to say, now, there's three kinds of fasts, okay? There's one where it's just a complete fast that you don't drink anything, you don't eat anything, and you walk spiritually. Now, make sure you do it unto the Lord. But then there's the there's there's the other fast where you say, okay, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have coffee, I'm gonna have drinks, and and if you're gonna do it for any longer than three or four days, you might wanna have some chicken broth that helps go down a little bit. That's just that's still liquid. And then there's the Daniel fast where you just eat vegetables and you can pick and choose. Now, again, if you if you're like, you know, have low blood sugar and and you can't do without food, I understand. There's some people go, Man, I I've got to eat, I get it. But if you're going to fast, guys, if you're going to fast, make sure that you have the right spiritual heart. He's about to take a journey with people that he's leading, and he goes, here's what I did. He says, not only did I fast, but he says, guys, will you fast with me so that you can hear the voice of the Lord? And you go, pastor, I've got to be honest with you. Giving up food is not a problem, right? Let me tell you. My first fast, I was like, you know what? Now like, oh, oh, I don't want to eat in front of you. I don't want to cause you to stumble. You know how that is, right? When you're, when you're fasting and you look at somebody's food and then you start coveting their food and you're just watching it go in the mouth and you start doing this. That doesn't bother me. Okay. I can sit there. I can make food and still, and be okay. And so I'm like, not a problem, Lord. And here's what the Lord said. He knocked on my heart ever so gently and beautifully. You know what he said? Try fasting social media. That's not so easy. I mean, I could, I could go without food for a week. Now, some of you, it's the opposite. You don't care about social media. You're like, what? I don't even get on any of that stuff. <laughs> But I want a double cheeseburger right now. Right? It works both ways. Here's what's the beauty. The beauty is the Lord will speak to your heart on what you're doing and where you need to hear. I know. Guys, I know. And you got to ask yourself, what's the first thing you do when you get up? Is it Facebook? Facebook's for old people. Okay. Is it uh, Instagram? Is it Snapchat? Is that the first thing you look at? Because now, now you have a problem. Now you got a problem. And the Lord will say, hey, could, could you fast that for a day? I don't think so. I don't know what's, I don't know what would happen if I didn't see what people were doing. I oh, don't know. I'll give up food, God. I promise I won't. Anyway, so he proclaims a fast. Guys, if, if we're going to fulfill the rest of our journey, till the time we go home, I think there are times we need to fast and pray. We need to seek him so we can hear his voice. Guys, Ezra says, we're going pa- to fast for our walks. We're going to fast for this walk. When was the last time we really fasted? From whatever it might be. It might be social media. It might be TV. It might be movies. It might be something that you enjoy doing. And God says, I want you to fast from that. I want you to pull from that. Um, he's fasting for his children. When was the last time we fasted for our children? That's what Ezra tells us. Amen. My children are doing good. Keep fasting for them. And he says, and for all of our stuff, all our possessions, and for protection and for protection. Guys, I am not going to have time to finish the rest of this, so we'll pick it up in verse 22 um, in a couple of weeks. But let's look at verse 22, and Josh can make his way up. There's just no way. It's 822, and I've got a lot to cover. So verse 22 says, for he says, I'm not ashamed. No, for I was ashamed, he says, to request the king an escort of the soldiers. So he's praying for protection, to help us against the enemy in the road because he had what because we had spoken to the king saying the hand of our god is upon all those for good and to seek him but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. Let me give you two schools of thought, right? Why why was he ashamed? Well, Ezra had previously expressed great confidence in the hand of God. He says God's with us, his hand is upon us, we're going back. Amen, we're going back. Right? So Here's the thing. Did he take God at his word or not? Because if he said, um, God, God is with me. I am so excited. God is going to do this. We're, we're going home. Come on, people. We're going to go home to Jerusalem. Let's go. And then all of a sudden, he goes, you know, listen, it's going to be crazy out there. I don't know. Could we get some soldiers and protection? Who's, who's he really trusting? Is he trusting the Lord? Does he really feel that way? And so he goes, no, no, I, I, I'm, I wasn't going to ask him because I really trust God. God is going to protect us. Nine hundred miles, women, children, grandma, grandpas, cats, dogs. Do you trust the Lord that way? I want to. I want him. I want him to really. I want him to give me that that peace and assurance and know that his his hand is upon me, man. His hand is upon me. His hand is upon me. His hand is upon me. You see, we're all, we're looking at this whole thing of, of what? Going home. Going home. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you guys to pray for a fellow by the name of Jerry Parcher. I asked you guys to pray. I got off the pulpit and I went over. Nathan and I went over to see Jerry and prayed with him. Jerry went home on Monday. Not to his house. He went to his heavenly home. In two weeks, I'm going to be getting on an airplane. And I'm going to fly to Austin and I'm going to spend... As much time as I can with a fellow by the name of Michael. You know him, we anointed him right here. He's about to go home. His journey is about coming to an end. That's what Ezra's telling us, guys. The journey's long and we need we know that that, that there's some unknowns in there. Stay close to the Lord. We know that, there's, that we need to pray and we need to fast and we need to keep this journey. And he's going to let us know that there needs to be humility in that too. So as Josh leads us in the worship, will you just take a moment, guys, and think. Okay, this journey, this spiritual journey, man. This journey, I'm, 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 I want to know that I'm going home. I know that I'm passing through, and one day I just want to go home. And so I surrender my life to Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart that He died for me. And that I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for Him. And I want to let Him guide me. And I want to let Him direct my paths. I surrender. I believe in you, God. And I believe the hand of my God is upon every one of us as we go out tonight. As Josh leads us in worship in this last song, will you just think about that? Will you just think about one day you're going to go home? It's going to be amazing. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Sorry I didn't get to finish, but we love you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. Father, we lift up, Lord, those that are hurting. I lift up Michael to you right now. The journey for him going home has started. Jesus, please, we love you. name pray.